You're listening to the Funny Women Survival Guide, the uplifting tongue-in-cheek podcast where we chat to British comedy's funniest females in an attempt to cheer up and entertain the nation in these uncertain times. And here's your host, Alexis Strum. Welcome back. We have got a fantastic surprise guest for you this week. Honorary funny woman, drumroll please, Jason Mumford. And well done to those of you who guessed correctly who our masked guest was. Danny Conningham, you were the first person to guess it right on Instagram. So well done you. And you win the amazing prize of um, knowing that you were right. So yeah, don't spend it all at once. Well done, Danny. Um, So you might be thinking, why do we have a man on the Funny Women Survival Guide podcast? Well, Jason is a huge supporter of female comedians, as you'll hear in this interview. He's booked female-only lineups for his Manford's Comedy Club, and um, he's a total super fan of Joe Brand, who's going to be hosting the Funny Women Awards in September, actually, funnily enough. Plus, Jason's in the news more than COVID right now, so we just had to get him on, particularly because we wanted to ask him about the whole Tesco's incident. So you have to listen in to find out about that. And um, of course, we wanted to get the, you know, get the skinny on his lockdown experience, ask him about the Masked Singer and get his perspective on fame. Because boy, does he have some wise words on the subject. And he even gives me a little bit of an English lesson. We discuss everything from arena tours to fart reducing pants to homeschooling trigonometry. And also joining us is Lynn Parker from Funny Women. And stay tuned to the end for some comedy recommendations to keep you entertained during the lockdown. Welcome to the show, honorary woman for the day, Jason Manford. So happy. I would have dressed for the occasion. A lot of people saying that this spotty shirt that I actually wore on Lorraine this morning uh, when I was doing her show, um, people were like, oh, I like your pyjamas. I was like... This is my normal clothes. I wear these all the time. We're getting slammed on Twitter for wearing what look like pajamas. Well, I was going to say actually, I was looking at the news last couple of days, as you do, and um, although COVID is all over the place, Jason, oh, yeah. your face, there's a lot going on about no. news at the minute. It's hard. What's isn't it? going on? Well, sometimes forget that I'm actually famous. <laughs> 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 because I'm just uh, I'm just me, and then I go, oh, I say so. Oh, this will be funny, and then um, then it's in the paper. <laughs> I go, oh yeah, for some oh, reason yeah. they're interested. I don't know why. I don't. Uh, you go through little spurts, really, and I, I think what essentially is that there's some journalists who are key workers, by the way. Who they do? Are. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, which I get the ones who are questioning the. Um, the, the prime minister they're the key they're key workers they're the they're in brokovich's of this world uh not the people just uh flicking through twitter and facebook to find out what daft things you've said um so uh yeah so essentially well i don't what was it what what have you read i read uh, there's been a couple of things there was something about me getting divorced about three years ago that for some reason was in the paper again this week yeah a lot of detail about the price of your um your estate <laughs> property uh, empire uh, it said <laughs> your hilarious. empire <laughs> empire uh which is hilarious ten, ten, ten bedrooms <laughs> Oh, ten bedroom I mansion. I mean, a four. Lynn and I were gonna we're gonna have a mansion out of that, won't we? I'm in a four four bedroom house with six kids. So you can imagine what that's like when I read that oh in the paper. Um, and uh, oh no, there was some. There's also something in the Daily Star today about me um, buying 
wearing some fart pants. Uh, pants oh. that um, mean, mean that your farts don't smell. Like my kids bought me <laughs> hilariously for Christmas. Are they called shreddies? They're called shreddies, yeah. I have heard of these. Yeah. They're always them. in the back of like magazine supplements. Oh, yeah. That's right, yeah. They, yeah. they do mm. them in women's sizes as well. So it's not, we're, we all fart. And uh, and my my kids bought them me, you know, it was like a hilarious present for Christmas. And then I uh, I mentioned it, I think. I, I basically said, you know, because you're in lockdown, you started to use all the stuff that you got for Christmas, like smellies and, and this food that you would never eat. You're like having Christmas pudding in April. And yeah. um, I said, oh, we found this. Uh, these shreddies that my kids have bought. I mentioned that, and, and then that, so that was in the paper. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know why this this keeps Shall happening. I give you a tip? Go on. If, right, Keep your mouth shut. When, right. When you're on your social media, mm. if you don't want them to pick up on it, I would say don't men- don't mention the shreddies anymore. Don't mention. Them. They will it, just come on. It's it. hard, isn't it? Because as a comedian, you just uh, you see something funny. And then you say it, but now you've sort of got to go through all these filters yeah. before you even dream of putting it online. Think, right, could anyone get offended about, you know what I mean? Like, actually, I've got a medical condition, which means I fart all the time. And, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, God, I've, I've upset the farters, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't even know they were a Pete. That was a lobby. Um, so... Yeah, so you sort of <laughs> – it's a weird thing now, whereas – because obviously as a stand-up when you're on stage, you know, you do your stuff and people have come to see you and there's a there's also the, there's a little glint in your eye and a, and a sparkle in your voice and they can hear that you're joking. But when stuff's written down sure. online, you know, crikey, you, 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 people can find any way of being offended, you know. It's amazing. Have you got skeletons left in the closet? I mean, are there some that you're like, yeah, oh, they're up there. good, I've got oh, some right. left. Excellent. I, no, everything's out. Everything's out there in the world, <laughs> isn't it? So it's just spinning around and some, some of it gets regurgitated and thrown back in your face 10 years after you, it was uh, topical. But um, but generally, you know, it's it's fine. You know, at the end of the day, everyone's got a job to do. And, and if that means refreshing celebrities' uh, Twitter and Facebook page, then crack on. <laughs> It pays the bills. <laughs> so thank you for coming on today. Obviously, you're not a woman. We've let you slip through, slip through the net there. I'm honoured. Um, but the reason that we wanted to chat with you was because this whole Tesco story, which which I have to say I found fascinating. So Did you? Why? I'm interested because, to know. Do you know what? It was just there's an access that we have now to celebrities. I'm going to put you in that category. You right. can shirk away from it. It's I hate the you, word. But- but yeah, all right, I know okay. What you mean. People in the public eye. Yeah, right? I hear you. I hear you. There's a level of access now that we have yeah. with you to your experience that we didn't have previously. And it was the fact that you tried to do something nice, I would say, uh, humble, whatever it was. And it was just like, oh, you're a real person. And I think it's just that is what made people connect with your story. It's just we forget sometimes, especially when we're reading all the nonsense and the shit and the mm. slagging people off. But it was that level of like, oh, right, he's he's feeling it. We're all feeling it. And whatever your motivation was, yeah. that was what was lovely about that story, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I've never sort of – fame, for want of a better word, and celebrity and all that, is a byproduct of being successful at the job that I'm good at. Mm-hmm. It, is not the, it is not the aim or the aspiration it's just a byproduct, uh, you know, and if uh, people wanted to spend 25 quid watching a plumber put a, uh, a toilet in, then 
that would be they would be the celebrities or they would be the people on telly and people would go and see them every week all over the place for some reason you know and obviously you know people like comedians and singers and actors and whatever it is so but i never you know at no point have i ever sat there and thought oh, i'd like to be famous you know it always makes me feel a bit ill when you see when you know kids say i want to be famous what for well i just want to be famous yeah like, well serial killers are famous kid Mm. So, you know, that is, that's not necessarily the uh, – it's what you're famous for, I suppose, and what you're successful doing. I guess, you know, I I was sort of one of the last generation of comics that came to it uh, where telly uh, – there, there was no arena gigs at that point. You know, there was people doing theatres, and even Lee Evans wasn't doing an arena yet, you know, and this was late 90s. So it was still something you came to that was a hobby that ended up becoming a job and ended up, you know, earning good money from it, and and uh, and now it's the thing that I do. I guess now it's slightly different. I know comics who've come to it with almost like a business plan, mm. and they come to it right. If I if I invest in that and get to Edinburgh, oh, the yeah. right person sees yeah. me, and I, you know, maybe yeah. I'll invest in a couple of writers and get me. You know, it's it's a it's now a genuine. You could go into your career counselor at the age of fifteen and say, "I want to be a stand up comedian," and he, you know, he or she would say, "Well." It's a great industry to work in, you know. Whereas in 1994, if I'd have said that to mine, he'd have said, I don't don't think that's a proper job. So it has changed in that respect because of the the way we access comedy now and and we churn through it. I mean, Jim Bowen, the uh, old Bullseye host, used to joke that he got through his whole career, his whole 40, 50-year career with 10 minutes of material because he only had to do a couple of gigs and and that was it. He was on the telly and he was done, you know. Whereas now... You know, with YouTube and and and, and repeats and things, Netflix and all these things, you've got to be churning out hours and hours of stuff every year just to stay current and relevant and not sound not sound like your you know your, your old hat. So it's a very yeah, it's a very different uh, job in that respect. But it's still fundamentally at its source, at its heart. I hope anyway, certainly for me, is uh, a hobby that you get paid for, and and to be in a job that you love is so rare. And I think people, you know, and I never forget that. I think that's, and and that goes back to what you were saying, Alexis, about the, uh, the the Tesco thing is that I think that what I do is, um, is a privilege. Actually, it's a privilege. And that comes on the days I'm getting paid, i.e. when I've just finished an arena or I've just done a TV show, but it's still a privilege when I'm, doing a free quiz for people's kids on YouTube uh, or, uh, you know, going around to sing to some nana around the corner because she's 80 and, and it'll cheer the street up. Like, and that, and that to me is, that's all part of the same job, irrespective of whether somebody gave you some cash at the end of it or not. You know what I mean? So, so would you say that, is it that you feel that you're, if you cut through you like a stick of rock, is oh, it yeah. that you're an entertainer? Is yeah, that what I mean, you feel? It's like- I love an audience, even if it's yeah. somebody singing happy birthday to an 80-year-old. I'm, I'm more than happy to turn up and, and have a chat with them. Yeah, I love an audience. I love performing. You know, I'm a show-off like like a lot of people in this business. And uh, and, I, and it's I just – I love doing it, you know. And, I, and, and so – and also in these difficult times, these times where the world has totally changed for so many people, because we've all had the rug pulled from under our feet. And, and you know, at the same time, don't get me wrong, I don't – I'm not one of these who's like, we're all in it together. I'm not counting me in this nice house with, with uh, you know, not having to worry about bills for the foreseeable as the same person stuck in a high rise with no garden, you know. Uh, so I don't believe in that respect. But I, to a certain level, I do think that we are 
we all have, and it's everybody's problems are relative, and everyone had the rug pulled out from underneath them, and about to get used to this new world, a new way of, of of seeing things. And so, obviously, you've got worries, and you know you might earn more money, but then your outgoings are more. So you have to, there's still those financial worries and things you have to think about. But then, from a mental health point of view, uh, there's just trying to feel useful i think and that's when i you suddenly realize all the jobs that we that and we're all guilty of it you know where we've overlooked a shop worker or a, a bin man or, or or a cleaner um suddenly these are the people keeping the country going and nobody's like when are the comedians coming back <laughs> like, you know, like, first they came for the comedians <laughs> yeah i said nothing uh so uh you know so in that respect you sort of think god i'm not I'm not actually, I'm not <laughs> fundamentally not a key worker. Um, but again, you know, my parents are both key workers. My dad's a janitor, my, my mum's a nurse. And, uh, you know, and they would say, well, and my mum and dad have both said this to me when I've had my moments of like, <sighs> and I've said, uh, well, you know, when a key worker or when someone's had a stressful day and they want to come home and forget about that stressful day and they flick on the telly or Netflix or YouTube or, or whatever, that's when you come so you're like, you know, I was like, oh, so I'm like a key worker for the key workers. <laughs> My dad was key like, worker of key workers, yeah. Yeah, I won't go that far, son. But uh, yeah. So how is how is the volunteering going? Because I, I saw you've been helping, as you mentioned, an old nana. And uh, yeah. do you get to choose who you help? Or how does it work? <laughs> well, what happened was that I was on tour with the, with curtains. I was doing a musical, and that got canned on the 16th, I think, of March or something. And if if you remember, Alexis, like right at the beginning of this, like the world. Even in seven weeks, the world has changed dramatically in seven weeks. So March came, this thing was here, and it was like there was very much a war sense of uh, mm-hmm. of doom almost. It was they were talking about a land army of people. <laughs> <laughs> they were talking I do about remember that, people yeah. going, right, we need fifty thousand people to go and pick fruit because uh, <laughs> somebody did Brexit and they're we've got nobody the people who used to do it are not allowed in the country anymore uh so we need fifty thousand people picking fruit we're gonna need forty thousand people in the supermarkets uh we need four four thousand new bus drivers or whatever it was like they they needed all these people and i remember i was lying in bed one night my wife was asleep and i was sort of lying there and i was genuinely looking at my diary was just emptying gigs were just being plucked out you know and i had the radio show but that was it i was thinking god there's a lot of free time. And I've got the kids, uh, of course, which is uh, delightful, of course. It's like, thank God uh, we're all together. But um, I did think to myself, well, oh, I can help. You know, I've, I've worked in shops and retail and uh, I've done I've done various things over the years. Uh, I'm good at gardening. I'm good at, I can pick some fruit. So I just applied for like loads of jobs or whatever was. I love was, that. That's amazing. Whatever was out there. Well, I, I, I sort of thought, you know, like my grand was a seamstress, but then in the war she was making bullets for Lancaster bombers. I thought, well, I can pick some raspberries. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not the same. Um, and so I applied for them all, and then I just sort of, you know, a couple came through, and I did. I ended up doing some volunteer driving for the um, for for a, a stockport car scheme, which was sort of dropping all, older people, elderly people, or people who needed the sort of no non COVID related. Um, hospital appointments and uh getting a feet sorted and funerals i did a couple of funerals and stuff like that so um what was that like yes you know it's sobering really you know when you sort of have a look at look at it on the and, and also you know you end up speaking to 
I spoke to a few funeral directors and, and people, and, you know, them saying how, you know, eight out of 10 funerals are, are COVID related. And, and, and in a way it was, it was quite, uh, well, it was very humbling and very sobering because there's a point with this thing, which is when you're not directly, you know, you don't know anybody who's been, who's been affected by it. You don't know anyone who's died of it. You know, I've certainly had a couple of friends who think they might have had it and they've been ill, but you know, we don't know because of tests and whatnot. Um, to hear it straight from somebody who's been dealing with it every day. And and I'm talking like there's a queue to get into the crematorium. You know, there's a queue, there's somebody in front of you. They've got 20 minutes to say the goodbyes, do the hymns, do the songs, and then off you pop, reset, clean, next. And it's just that all day, just that all day. And even just to sort of glimpse that for a second was harrowing, really. It was, you know, awful. And, um, yeah, so doing a, a bit of that, but I sort of, I sort of just got on with it really. I, di- I didn't really mention it because again, we live in these very, uh, judgmental times when I fact, you know, and I, I don't know if you saw, but there was a, a moment where I, um, I posted about the Tesco thing because it was funny. It was funny. Mm. Seven weeks after I applied for a job, it was funny that me, a, a bloke off the telly, who 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 actually has retail experience, BTW, um, got turned down for this job <laughs> that I've accepted fifty thousand people. Like to not be in the fifty thousand people eligible for stacking shelves, to me was funny. Like it was a funny thing. So I put on my Twitter and Facebook, and again, <laughs> even after so many years of being on there, I forget. Even though I keep thinking it's my little corner of the internet. It's very much accessible to anybody, <laughs> and uh, and I put in this in this voice. Listen to the voice I, I wrote it in. Absolutely livid. So I did it like in a humorous <laughs> way, and then Sky News reported it. Jason Manford is absolutely livid about not getting a job at Tesco, <laughs> and uh, oh, I had a lot of people getting in touch. Um, is this an issue where you forgot to put the inverted commas? I spot to put. Yeah, I think I did. I sp- I need to start just doing my jokes with lots of emojis, maybe. Yeah. The punctuation, spot Has- on. Hashtag joke. Uh, <laughs> asterisk joke. I don't know what to. I don't know what to do if I'm honest. Um, but uh, yeah, most people got it. People, and again, it's that sort of situation where you go, the people who like you know you sort of go, oh, I see where he's come from. He's applied for this thing seven weeks ago. He's not got it. And now that's quite funny. That's This guy's not got this job. Um, i got a lot of people. So you're taking jobs off people who need it. And, uh, really? Yeah, I was getting, this is what I was getting. And, and I was going, I wasn't, no. I was just helping seven weeks ago. I was just trying to help. And, uh, oh, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. I turned my Twitter off for a few days. Like, it was a bit mad. Uh, you you're think, damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I well, think it was, it, yeah, yeah, you were trying to help. If you're that sort of person, you know, because, and then I sort of defended myself to so, someone said, why don't you just do some volunteering? You don't need a job. I said, well, actually, I've not mentioned it, <laughs> but even re- I'm reading your message now. I'm sat <laughs> waiting for Dorothy to come out to the, out of the, 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 the foot doctor, you know, and uh, I, I, I thought, I'm the, how are the bad guy here? And uh, <laughs> and so I defended myself and said, "Oh, I've been doing. I've actually been doing a bit of volunteering." And then uh, and then the classic came, which I've not had really before. That phrase used by people sat on their asses doing nothing to make them feel better about doing nothing against people who are doing something. Virtue signaling. So I don't know what this means. Okay. 
Okay, please explain. Well, I'll Ooh. tell you what. Let's uh, let's let's read what. Let's the... Have a listen, Jason. <laughs> I've got my pen. Yeah. Let's Go re- so this is a phrase that comes up every so often. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what the actual. Thank you. phrases. I'll Google it here. Uh, Who so said this isn't educational? This is on Wikipedia. Okay. Believe it or not, right? Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is a pejorative neol- neologism. I don't know what that means. For the conspicuous expression of moral values. It's derived <laughs> from the concept of signaling uh, in evolutionary biology. So essentially you sort of tell everybody how great you are and how great your morals are. And I can sort of see it from a political point of view if you're sort of like, well, I voted for these people because I care. Mm. And, uh, you know, I can see what it is. But people have sort of bastardised it a little bit to mean anytime you do something nice and tell people about it. Now, this is different to the humble brag, right? The humble brag is is like that's one step lower. Okay. Yeah. So virtual signaling. Humble Brack is like, oh my God, I can't believe I couldn't make it to Elton John's party today. I'm absolutely livid about it. Like, <laughs> it's sort of like, it's one of the like there, isn't it? But no, this is sort of. Um, this it's is... good when they've got a new word to explain. Oh, being yeah. Asshole, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But what, what have you, how have you found it though with your. Uh, has it changed a lot for you? Well, I mean. Yes, a hundred percent for both of us. I mean, yeah. then going about funny women for sure. Yeah, I was gonna say we've 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 lost all our gigs. So we you know, we had over forty yeah. shows just cancelled because we can't go to the venues. Um and in fact I'm sure you're aware there's the big thing now in comedy is is are the venues because they don't know when they're gonna reopen. And they've um formula they formed a new association yeah, so just joined now, that, the actually, live yeah. comedy association. Yeah has been created yes we i think most most of us have but you know i think that's the 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 biggest thing and then adapting i was going to ask you actually about adapting Mm. to this space the virtual space um to be absolutely honest with you i've found that a relatively positive experience and i think we've actually adapted Mm. to that quite well but i know a lot of the comedians it's very hard to do comedy over zoom well it depends how uh Often you've heard laughter in your career, I think. Uh, <laughs> there's some comics have taken to it like a duck yeah. to water. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like they've not been getting laughs ever and they don't know it's a missing. Yeah. No, I'm only missing. <laughs> um, I think that sometimes uh, when the world sets parameters, the most creative of people find a way. They find the green shoots to get through. And... Uh, yeah. And and there's something quite exciting in that, in in, in a in a perverse yeah, I think way. Limitations you know. for sure. Limitations are making people be much more innovative. Yeah. Um. So I lost three jobs, Jason. So I oh, lost God. my day job. Yeah. I have a day job. Um. Lost that. Obviously, acting. Yeah. No industry. Can't no. do that. Uh, and then I run a, a comedy night, mm-hmm. so that's, that's I can't. Cool. It's one that I can't really do online as well. Yeah. But then Lynn and I came up with this. This was our kind of way forward. Well, there you go. To do, yeah. yeah. And actually, it's been for both of us. I mean, I I don't want to speak for Lynn, but it's actually been a really Brilliant. positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just chatting to comedians and seeing what they're up to, and and actually, not everyone's being prolific. Not everybody is. Absolutely. Um, is actually managing their moods. I think in comedy as well, there's that expectation that you're always on and that you're a naturally positive <laughs> mental health right up there kind of person. Yeah, but I no, I mean, there's a lot of mental well, health issues, you well, know. Well, also, and I've spoken about this in the past, but um, 
you know, I was on tour with a musical, so you're talking eight shows a week. Yeah. Sunday off, and I'd do my radio show on a Sunday, God. and then Monday would sort of be traveling and, you know, sometimes then we'd get down to wherever it was and start on the Tuesday. And I did that from August right through till it stopped on that Monday. We had five weeks to go, and, and then it was done. And there is uh, there is a thing that the, that the you might have heard of the gigs um, that you do for the military sometimes uh, called decompression. They do mm-hmm. decompression gigs. They're often in um, somewhere nice, uh, you know, not not Ibiza, but somewhere like that. They're somewhere really nice, and the the, the the military have got a camp over there. And basically, after the the military have been on tour. Uh, in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever they've been over the years, the military then put them for two weeks into decompression. And it's a place to have some fun and, and chill out, but it's also where they have counsellors and they have uh, regular set meals and bedtimes and they sit and read and watch some of the news and books and TV shows that they may have missed out on whilst they've been on tour. And it's just a way of integrating them back into normal civil life. And whilst I'm not comparing myself to uh, somebody who's been on the front line of a war. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'll be the next headline. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, Jason Manford thinks you're a soldier of comedy. And I've known a few comics do this, that when they finish a tour, they just say to the family, look, I, I'll see you in a week. I've got to go. I'm going to go. So I'm going to sit in a cabin or I'm going to go on holiday or whatever, you know, quite a few big comics do it. And, and, and some comics that I have pals with and they have this time before they get back. And partly it's because of the, if you imagine the absolute endorphin release every night of being on a, on a big tour, thousands of people laughing and applauding and, you know, the, the, just the, the energy that that is the uh i can't think of the word but the uh obviously like i said your endorphins your um what's the word i'm looking for uh adrenaline adrenaline that's exactly the word Lynn. thank <laughs> you uh the adrenaline of it all is built up and it's and it stays in your system it doesn't just disperse because you did a gig on wednesday You've still got that in your system on a Thursday and you've got two shows on a Thursday and it's there and it's pent up. So just suddenly on that Monday, pew, gone, mm. driving home. And all this is still flying around your brain. And to go from, you know, on stage in front of thousands of people to Tuesday, picking up a key stage maths book. <laughs> <laughs> key stage three maths book with your kids and going, right, let's have a look at isosceles <laughs> triangles. And yeah. you know, and 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 having to you know cleaning your house and sorting your car out and, and working out a mortgage holiday and uh, checking your parents have got enough food and all, you know all these things that you suddenly having to uh, do. And like I said, this is everybody I understand, but this is the way the, the this rug has just been pulled out from under everybody's feet. Everyone, and I've said this in my tour before, everyone's problems are relative to them, and it sounds like an obvious thing to say. But we don't always, we don't always live it. You know, yes, some people have got worse problems than you. Of course, that's natural. But you can't feel their problems. You can only feel your own problems. You can empathize and sympathize. Of course, you can. But your problems are the worst problems in the world to you because they're the only ones you're connected to because they're yours. They're yours mentally and they're, they're yours physically and uh, financially and spiritually and uh, and anything else. So, you know, I always sort of relate it back to when you were a kid and you said, oh, mum, I'm hungry. And she would say, well, 
there's kids in Africa and they're starving. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, well, yeah, I know, but that like I've, that fact has not filled me. I'm not nourished yeah. on the fact that somebody else is also suffering. So I, I agree, and I think the th- the difference as well is is empathy. Is that some people are more empathetic than others, and yeah. that this actually this experience is bringing that quality out, yeah. and also highlighting those that don't have it, don't have any sort of empathy. Unbelievable psychopaths basically there's a, lot, but, um, there's a few of them yeah there's a few of them knocking few of them around i did find it quite interesting i know a few people have pointed this out but i did find it fairly interesting that the first people that the uh the posh boys in charge of the country said could go back to work were like the nannies and the, cleaners. the nannies. <laughs> <laughs> golf clubs golf clubs can be open <laughs> Guard, uh, garden centers like, garden center the gardeners uh, yeah. Yeah. Chalet. Should we make skiing chalet? <laughs> Is that the next thing? You can go on holiday as long as you have a house there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like it was really specific. About I know, I know. I d- I, yeah, I agree with you on mm. that. But I must um, say, yeah, we are, we are, we've got a cleaner and uh, I did ring her last week to go, look, you decide. It's up to you when you come back. I, I, we're not going to force you. I'm more than happy cleaning my own house. So you just let me know. She's been working from home, so her house is spotless. But uh, I've uh, that's one of the best purchases, <laughs> best things I've ever spent money on. But you know what? Money. Going back to the virtue sick, virtue. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah, that I've learned it, <laughs> yeah. now that I've learned the word, I've seen a few threads on Facebook where I've unfriended people because they've been so like you know. I've been partially paying my cleaner for the last few months. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, um, yeah. let's unpack that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well done, you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's certainly there's ways like that is virtue signaling in a very in a in a negative way where you go nobody need, like nobody needed to know that information. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, but it's interestingly, uh, interestingly, like nobody, nobody does, and this might sound controversial. Nobody does anything good for somebody else without getting something out of it for themselves. That's just the human condition. That's that's just, even if it's just an endorphin release of feeling good about yourself because you did something good for somebody else, that's Mm. just the human condition. We do nice things for other people because it makes us feel good. Is that virtue signaling? Is that is that a negative? No, I think like, that's a fair point. It's just something people don't say. And yeah. another point that I think on that on that note is when people get involved in charity work, the majority of time it's because the charity has personally affected them. Yeah. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think no. for whatever your motivation, as long as you're doing good and the end product is there, that's that's all well and good. Yeah. I, I there's a charity I'm patron of, and quite a lot of the times they um they say to me, "Oh, can you do this for us?" Can you? Do and it's part of it. My brain thinks. <sighs> If I do that and it get and it's in the paper, people think I'm just going to do it. I'm doing it because mm. I want to be in the paper. I don't want to be in the paper. That's the la- like unless it's about you know having fart pants on or whatever. <laughs> um, nobody really wants to be in the press. So you suddenly start to question yourself. You think, oh, do I? And then you think, what? The charity want you to be in the paper because it means more people know about the the charity. It's this weird sort of relationship that you have you know so um well i, mm. I do the, the the manford's comedy clubs you know we, we've got uh sort of 12 15 of them or something you know and they i mean no one is retiring off the back of what the money they make like i've you know i invested a lot of money in that years ago and um and it's still not broke even you know but we keep it going because i just think when you get to a a, a level 
and I feel like I'm on a, on a, a level that I uh, have worked hard to get. I feel like I deserve to be in the position I'm in. I've worked hard. I think I'm very funny, and I can see people laughing. So I think that confirms it. And, uh, <laughs> Facts. And, yep. Yeah. So I, you know, and it's one of those weird things. Like if you were American, you'd be able to say these things. You'd be able to say, "Do you know what? I'm really funny." And uh, that's why people pay money to come and see me. But when you're British, you've got to be a bit more like... It's uh, even worse with women, even worse with female comedy. I mean, you know, we have exactly the same problem. And I know you're very supportive of um yeah yeah no i can imagine and we're he's an honorary, he's an honorary. Today. well about. you know we're running our awards at the moment jason as well so yeah. you know it, and we're, i've got one of her oh my god that's good yeah well i'm the same you know i've got i love stand-up like even when i'm not being a stand-up my hobby is stand-up like i love watching it i watch everybody's but everybody's uh, special. I watch it whether it's on Netflix or Next Up uh, or just something they've released on their own uh, YouTube. I watch comedy all the time. There isn't a day goes by I've not watched somebody's stand-up or, or jokes or something, whether it's comics you've heard of or comics you've not quite heard of. And we set Manford's Comedy Club up because at the time not everybody was running good gigs. There was a lot of, mm. uh, and that's still true today, but, you know, one of the big change jonglers were, t- you know, they were taking the mickey really when it came to payments and when it came to uh, the standard of the gig, the the punters that they were getting there. You know, it's that gag that we used to sort of say that their their slogan used to be eat, drink, laugh, dance. And we all, <laughs> as comics, we'd always think, why are we third? Why are we yeah. third on the list of a comedy club's <laughs> slogan, you know? And so we set it, I set it up partly for that and partly because I I often think, you know, there's two things you can do when you uh, make it, in inverted commas. Uh, you can either pull the ladder up and say, right, I'm all right, Jack, or you can leave it down and help other people up and help uh, get, spread the love, you know, spread the, spread the wealth as well. Because, like, for example, when I'm on tour, I, uh, I used over 200 different comics on the last tour. You know, they all got paid well. They're all finished by 8 o'clock, so they can go and double up with another gig nearby. Um, and, and that way, rather than just giving it one person and say, right, there you go, there's, there's 20 grand or whatever to come and do this tour, you spread that and give everybody, you know, a, a little bit. And the same with the comedy clubs. We have a very... Um, well, I think quite a unique way of doing it, which is we um, uh, was one of the things at the beginning that we wanted to start, which was to make sure that the bills were a real mixed bill when it came to uh, when it came to BAME, whether it came to uh, sex or sexual orientation, and, and that actually didn't matter. And we just wanted the funniest people to be doing these gigs. So in our office, we've actually got three boards. We've got a, an A board, a B board, a C board, and an MC board. And every gig is just one off the A, one off the B, one off the C, and an MC. And it's quite funny because sometimes I'll get messages off people. Uh, we had one with um, Alison June-Smith who messaged me um, a while back to say, it was really weird. We turned up at this this gig tonight. I thought there was a mistake because there was three women on the bill. <laughs> Wow. And uh, you know, and oh. I said, "Oh, well, there was just two A's and a B, Alison. That's who that was. Who was on the bill? You know, we just picked the funniest." I think what's happened is that, well, this is. I mean, you'll know more than I do because you, you, this is the industry you've specified in. But from my uh, observations, it's a male, it's a male um, heavy industry because invariably, when you st- and it's uh, and the audience have got a perception. Absolutely. We all know that. Before you've even got to the microphone, they've gone, 
well, she's not going to be funny because she's a woman. Because they've not seen the women that have gone before them to 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 do that job. You know, you've got Joe Brand and Sarah and all those people, but you've not got the hundreds of men who've got and there's some shit men still doing still doing big gigs, you know. You know, there is a whole white male privilege still, absolutely. though. I mean, do you think it's, do you think it's easy God. then? You know, if you're a young, young, relatively decent looking chap, yeah. and you decide to go into comedy, you'll get a gig. Are the obstacles there? No, I don't think so. I think you. I think so too. I think the 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 perception of it though comes because there isn't the the. There isn't the the amount that there has been as, as for white ma- men, for example. So, and if you think about doing gigs, like when you first start out, it's all right now. So, you know, somebody picks me up, I go in the car, I do the gig. It's all very nice. I come out and I go. When I when you first start and you're booked to do the Frog and Bucket in quite a rough area of Manchester, and you're coming off stage, you've not made any money, so you can't really afford to get a taxi. You have to wait for a bus. It's eleven o'clock at night. And you're in a city centre. Like that is not a place where a female is going to feel safe or or uh, or happy about doing that gig. So I can totally see why more blokes have decided, you know, decide this is a job. I also think, and this this is just my personal opinion, but I often think that blokes, for whatever reason, are, and I'm generalising massively, but <laughs> blokes, for whatever reason, are often able to look at outside factors to blame for their own failings. Whereas I think in my experience, women will often look internally to see what they did wrong. So say, for example, a gig didn't go well. I've seen female comics got off stage and go, well, what did I do wrong? I must have said something. They didn't like me. Did I wear the wrong thing? Did I say the wrong things? You know, what's happened? Whereas I've seen many a bloke get off stage and go, well, it was the lights, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it was the room. (laughs) I think you're right. Uh, it was the lights. It's so I think true. It was the light. Or the audience. I thought you were going to say, though, Jason, I thought you were going to say that um, most men just think that they're quite funny. I mean, I think, you know, in offices, yeah. there's always oh. the guy, he's the card. I'll tell you what, mate, you should go on that. You should be like that, Jason Manford. Do you think that, you know, that is part of the reason? I 100% think that's part of it. But right. it's part of that. You know, again, it goes back to this sort of uh, the mating ritual of men and women, doesn't it? Which is, sure, you know, invariably men like to be we like to be funny and make the the woman laugh. And some, and we've all been, you know, over the years, been guilty of saying something we think is funny, and then the a female has been guilty of laughing because she thinks that that's what the fella wants. And so it's this weird world where we go, oh, it must be funny. Nobody's funny, but everyone's laughing. We don't know what's going on. And society-wise, you know, invariably, your white, straight male has become, and this is through all aspects of media and through all aspects of the world, really, but essentially the white, straight male is the default human. And, <laughs> and every- this is get- oh, I can this see is this going getting- to go viral. Going to go and tweet. You've given us enough characters there. This is not my opinion. This is society. The, yeah. the default, and everybody else, sexuality-wise, gender-wise, race is an offshoot of this default human, this white male privilege, which is at the sort of centre of all the world. Essentially, you know, banking and uh, financially, and media and Politics. all that. Politics, yeah. yeah. So. 
it's what it's that weird thing where you i mean you, you know you'll have seen it Lynn, many times where people will criticize a female comic because oh. uh she's talking about stuff from her point of view yeah, yeah we're not allowed <laughs> we'll to surely talk about women yeah, things we're not allowed to joke about periods <laughs> yeah. there's some fantastic i mean i used to watch joe brand when i was like 14 and she i'd never if you, i was from like a a religious irish background and i'd you know i'd heard sort of uh, my aunties and and uh, my gran and my mum and stuff chatting, but I'd never heard a woman talk like Joe Brand talked. Yeah, and it was an eye like imagine fourteen and hearing her say some of the things she said. It was like it was exciting. <laughs> you know, it was great. You know, though, she's Love actually it. our she's patron fantastic. now, so she's great. Couldn't couldn't be a better person. I would like to ask you ask about away. the masked singer. Oh, because right. well, I go. was oh, a yes. bit of a change up now, but yeah, go for it. Now, I find this quite ironic, seeing as we're all looking for masks right now. I want to <laughs> no. know: Are you going to be wearing the hedgehog head <laughs> as your PPE? As I go, is this going to be? As I'm queuing, you know, I feel Desco, like you yeah. should. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wish I wish they'd let me have the costume. I've got to say, did they not let you? No, keep it? no, and it's unfortunate because they don't use them again, but they need them for like dressing and stuff in the background of future series. Yeah. But um, could not yes. cup your own. <laughs> I but, probably yeah, could. Tell probably me, could. tell me about the experience because obviously um, you managed to keep it secret all yeah. that time. Yeah, and uh, fantastic. I really enjoyed the meatloaf track you did, <laughs> and um, you got you came second. I right? came second. Yeah. In a singing competition. If you didn't think 2020 was mental as it was, I beat Catherine Jenkins in a singing competition. <laughs> <laughs> the world's gone mad. Yeah. <laughs> this is pre-COVID. Um, yeah, I love singing. My family are all singers and, and entertainers, so I've always done it. And we did an album a few years ago, and I've done you know done the musicals. And, and this opportunity came up, and I remember the guy rang me and said, it's a friend of mine who, who had who used to be a producer on 8 Out of 10 Cats, and he said, look, we're making this show. Uh, it is a Korean format. I said, I'm in. <laughs> uh, and they just sent us these clips of the show, and I said, God, it looks absolutely bonkers. And, um, and again, one of the things I said, because I try and sort of stay away from uh, shows that are celebrity shows. Like, it's not my bag like I much prefer real people so when we did first and last on BBC One that was with you know regular normal people same with uh, when I did Big Heads and What Would Your Kid Do all the shows I try and do are with real people because I just find them more interesting and, and less sort of media trained you know so you get a bit more laugh out of them so this was the first show that I sort of really do, did that was uh, for me really and so I said, "All right, I'll do it. Let's let's do it." And they they convinced me. They said it's a really good lineup. We promise it's not going to be you're not going to be pulling it off the thing off and giving it. Who's that? Like it's going to be some good people. And to be fair, I thought they did really well. Actually, it was a good lineup. Uh, but the secrecy of it was ridiculous. The contracts we had to sign it was like being SAS. Um, <laughs> but was it filmed over a number of weeks then, or what was the so actual I, filming period? It was like two weeks. All done in two weeks. I was in the middle of rehearsals for curtains, so there was like three or four days where I had to just leave at three o'clock and not be able to tell anybody where I was like, Oh, I've just got another job, you know, and I've got to just get that done. And, uh, obviously if you got knocked out early, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have been in there for the full, the full two weeks, but they, they pick you up in a car all blacked out, uh, windows. You had a hoodie and uh, a visor and gloves, uh, and a, a balaclava and about sort of 20 minutes out of the studio, you'd have to put all that on. 
And then they would drive into the car park. You would get out. And this jumper says, do not speak to me. Don't speak to me. Which is great. I still wear it now. <laughs> With <laughs> the kids. Yeah, exactly. Trigonometry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we went into, you go in, nobody speaks to you. It's quite liberating, actually. Like even, this sounds terrible, but not even having to say thank you to somebody for holding the door open yeah. to you. It's quite like, oh, I felt naughty. <laughs> and, um, and then you sit in a room. Uh, you, you pick like 20 songs and then they chose their favorite six that they thought fitted with a mix of other songs. And, uh, and you don't even know who the other contestants are. You're all trapped away. Yeah, that's you just hard. literally go out. You have a, a rehearsal. Cloud Do you hear their, did you hear no, their performance? Can't hear it. Unless, you're hear the, unless you're the next one to go. Right. Then you can hear the book. So did you get an inkling? You were like, shit, they're good. I thought Charlotte Church was in. I thought Catherine Jenkins right. was Charlotte Church because I could hear her warming up. Um, and she's quite, uh, la, la, la. <laughs> she's all giving it that in the next room. I was like, okay, well, that's not somebody from Tawi. That's someone proper. So, um, yeah, there was definitely an element of that. But, uh, no, I didn't I didn't know who anyone was really. So when you so suddenly – and what's funny is you're still – because you're all in it together. You're like – you're sort of holding hands with like this big monster and this <laughs> – <laughs> like a fox but you don't know who they are so like even, even though i've never met them i now know that for uh, like for for three weeks i was holding CeeLo green's hand yeah like and denise van outen like even though i've never met him. did you know did you know denise though through your I, circle i've met denise a couple of times but not you know not and we're sort of friends on twitter but uh yeah not specifically but uh, i think the caliber you're right the caliber of the artist i mean see green way up there Khalid, I, I couldn't believe it, managed it. I couldn't believe it yeah. that was quite a coup wasn't it yeah and i think it'll go i think for the next series it'll go up as well because it was so successful 10 11 million people watched it and it was just oh. so bonkers my kids the hardest thing was keeping it a secret uh, once it was on and um obviously i told my wife uh but other than that there was nobody really that i'd um that i told them even my children my my <laughs> daughter was at a sleepover on the night of the final and all her friends were saying that's your daddy that's your daddy <laughs> my daughter who's nine she was like uh i think i would know if that was my <laughs> no dad. way yeah and then obviously mass <laughs> came on she was livid absolutely livid <laughs> So would you ever go back on as a judge, maybe? Would that I be think so, yeah, yeah. I'd love yeah. I think if I did it again, I would I would do it slightly different. I'll tell you a funny story, actually. I am um, I'm friends with Alfie Bow, who's the uh, opera singer. And uh, I thought you were Alfie Bow. Well, this is it blew my mind. Well, this is what's funny. So I, I did some opera training many years ago, so I could sort of fake it <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and uh and and so I saw on Twitter people were saying Michael Ball you know, uh, Alfie Bow, Michael Crawford, uh, Alexander Armstrong or whatnot. And uh, so one afternoon I rang Alfie and I said, have you seen this mass singer? Because I was not telling him it was me. Have you seen this mass singer? He says, yeah, yeah, man. I was what I said, I was, every Saturday night I'm getting hundreds of texts and tweets off people saying, are you, are you on the mass singer? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm getting the same. I'm getting the same. I said, have you seen it? He says, I watched it yesterday because I wanted to see who this hedgehog was. And I was watching it, I thought, I'm not that shit at singing, am I? <laughs> That's awful. And I was like, I was on the phone, I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I, yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. He's like, he's like, he's breathing. See you then, Alfie. All like, right, mate. He's like, his breathing's all over the place. I was like, maybe the mask was heavy. <laughs> maybe that happened. 
<laughs> it's like really defending him. I was going to ask actually because I think I think it's quite an, a feat to sing. Yeah. And where's so you've got an earpiece presumably to get the mute the track in. Yeah, so you got your ear you got your ears in and then wow. you've got the microphone inside them and you sing all live. None of it's recorded. It's all, it's mm. all sung live. Um, and uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty full on. And uh, like because obviously I had that big spiky suit on the back as well, so that was dead heavy. So I had like two people holding that. And then as soon as they started filming, they ran off and I'd just be left sort of wobbling with this massive suit trying to dance around the stage. <laughs> so it's pretty full on trying to just wobble in time yeah. with the music. And any singing plan? Obviously you're doing, you've done a, the musical, you've got yeah. the tour allegedly coming up. Hope, please God for you. I hope it happens. Well, I don't, like I me, don't but- yeah, I don't know. It probably won't happen this year, but um, you know, next year we'll, 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 the next, the full tour will hopefully still start from February. And I mean, I, I was, I sort of reading something by uh, Jenny Eclair this morning about, uh, and I love football. I'm a big man city fan, but her, she was writing this thing about um, why they're so obsessed with getting football started again, when the theater and the arts have just are sort of going to be the last ones to go back, you know, and uh, where more people watch theater and the arts than who watch football. So, there might not be as much money in it, but there's certainly more people in it. So I was sort of thinking, yeah, that's that's true. So we'll see. And like you were saying, Lynn, about adapting, maybe there's something in – I've been chatting to some people about doing driving gigs. Maybe there's a way where – like like an old driving theatre where everybody parks up and tunes into the right radio frequency. And, um, yeah, because when they came to me and, and said all oh, about this gig, they said, but you won't be able to hear – their response, their laughter, and I, you know, and I was thinking, mm-hmm. well, the only way you could do that is I, I did my muddle class tour. I did two hundred and eighty dates, and even though I've so, I did last gig I did of it was in February where we recorded it, I know exactly where the laughter is. Yeah. I know where it is. I know what gets a laugh, how high it gets a laugh. So at a push, I could do that gig and know where the, the pattern mm-hmm. and the flow of where the laugh, because I did it 300 times. So I know what's funny and I know how funny it is. And I know when to move on. Um, if you're a new comic, I mean, how on earth you'd be able to just test out some stuff. You know what I mean? Like that is tough. Yeah. So. Jason, I'm thinking that you should do a, a Christmas album. Do you think so? Yeah. Maybe I should. Yeah. This, I think this is, this is where you're going to come into your own psychic Alexis. I've seen into my tea leaves. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, why not? Other people, are, other people have done it. You've set the precedent. Well, we did. Know. I did one a few years ago uh, called A Different Stage, and uh, we it was sort of 10 songs or 11 songs that were like my, some of my favourite songs from musicals. And um, crack, it's hard work for no money. But even the big stars, you know, your Ed Sheerans and, and, and whatnot of this world will tell you that the, the money from doing al- uh, music is still from the touring. Mm. Still from doing the gigs afterwards, you know, say Lewis Capaldi will tell you, they'll all tell you the same. It's the touring. So that's still been, you know, still missing in that respect. You're not, I mean, there's more people at home listening to music and I've just, you know, we've got our radio figures. They've, they've all gone up. Everything's gone up because mm. people are sat yeah. at home watching and listening to more stuff. But um, yeah. It's... I was going to ask you actually about the favorite hymns. Oh yeah. I thought that was a lovely idea. Cause you know, I, mean, that, yeah, actually, I think nostalgia yeah. at the moment is like, really important to yeah. kind of that's a nice channel to something positive well it's funny actually, and actually that, yeah that was the thing i was thinking about doing actually alexis was something about mm. uh because i was sort of thinking about those um songs you used to sing at, at school and i thought you know you got sort of joe wicks at nine o'clock on uh you know a lot of people are homeschooling watching joe wicks at nine i thought <laughs> let's do assembly <laughs> at yeah. half nine 
<laughs> a few words and a couple of uh, come by army lord. Like, it doesn't sort of matter that they're religious either because it's just it's that sort of immaterial. You know, he's got the it whole world yeah. in his hands. Like there's something quite nice about it. And I was sort of we were talking on the radio about the funny um, random songs that your music teacher would just put in there, even though it had nothing to do with. Yeah. We used to do like Streets of London and When I'm 64 and <laughs> stuff like no, that. No, do we? I think that's – I just dis- associate them with hymns now. I don't even think know. about it. So what's your favourite Your favorite assembly hymn then? I think I liked uh, – he's got the whole world in his hands because I like Sing Hosanna and I like All Things Bright and Beautiful, obviously, because you get to say Purple-Headed Mountains. And <laughs> when you're 10, that's hilarious. Um, I mean, it's still funny now, but when I was 10, it was very funny. Uh, I liked – he's got the whole world in his hands because – I don't know if your school used to do this when they sang it, but uh, we'd adapt it to ours. So they'd go, um, <laughs> you know, he's got uh, you and he, me and you, brother, in his hands. And there was a bit we go, he's got the whole of Manchester in his hands. <laughs> like we would sort of incorporate our own town, which I always thought was funny. <laughs> what was your favourite? Uh, what was your favourite hymn at school? Liv? Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. Oh, that's a, that's a banger. It's a banger. Oh. It's a real June. banger. I'll have to get that you one. Gotta add these if you haven't got them yeah, already. I'll have to jot them down. Yeah. Mine was uh, Jerusalem. That was our Jerusalem, school anthem. Wow. Also, all copy, yes. all copyright free as well. Cha-ching. Yes. <laughs> so we've got your career sorted if the tour goes. I've got the next six months. Yeah, yeah. Plan, yeah. Album the of album hymns. of hymns. I think I do well. <laughs> all denominations <laughs> will love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um. I mean, we're about to leave you to it. I know you're very busy. I've never seen someone so busy. You've got radio shows, you're doing the volunteering. I heard you make a quip that it was to avoid the kids, which I'm going <laughs> to just let it pass. But, uh, yeah, we all know the truth. Yeah. No, we all know the yeah. Truth. It's, um, I, I must say, actually, you know, joking about, I'll say this to you because I feel like we're, we're, this is a, a, a proper place to say it, which is um, actually, I feel incredibly lucky. Like, obviously, I'm very lucky that I've not been poorly and I don't know anybody who's been poorly. I'm obviously incredibly lucky because I've managed to, you know, save enough money to get to this point that I can get through. But I also feel incredibly lucky to have this time that I would never have taken off. I would never have ever taken it. And, and whether that's this part of a sort of working class work ethic that you think I can't ever take the foot off the gas because if I do, it'll stop and it'll all go away. And I don't want to I don't want to have nothing ever again because I've had nothing and it wasn't fun. I much prefer this. And and so actually having this time to get to know, I've sort of got to know the kids uh, again, really, in a weird, I know it sounds silly, but I was on tour a lot and I did work away a lot. And we just, I sort of just had that slightly old fashioned blokey uh, thing of like, well, my attributes to parenting is that I work and I bring in, the money into the house and uh, my wife and my ex-wife deal with the day-to-day knowing who the, what the school friends are called and uh, you know, dealing with all that sort of stuff. Uh, I just have to do the, this thing and that's my contribution, you know, and there's a sort of slight parental guilt. I think sometimes that you can have from working and I've, I've tried to always get over that by thinking, no, that's, that is working. That, that, that is, being a parent is making sure that they've got a roof over their head and, and and they're all well fed, but actually being at home and, you know, sitting playing trains and, uh, you know, uh, sitting in the garden with the girls playing table tennis or whatever we've been doing and, and just getting to know these little humans again properly, uh, has been a really special time that I just would never have given myself. 
because of because of my sort of work ethic, I guess. Um, so I'm sort of incredibly grateful, really, to, to to have had this time. And there was a moment last week where they, and again, purely selfish, you know, but there was a moment where they were talking about ending lockdown and the kids going back to school on a, back, on a certain yeah. day. And I felt like I actually sort of had, felt a little bit teary about the idea that these my kids might have to go back to school <laughs> every day, you know. So, uh, yeah, I've been, I've, I've really, I feel like I've used it I've not learned a language. I've not picked up an instrument. I've not got a new hobby. Um, but what I feel like I have is I've sort of reconnected uh, with my children and my house and my family and, and weirdly spoke to friends more than I ever speak to them. And uh, so in that respect, I feel very f- uh, fortunate to have sort of been given this opportunity, even though it came from such a, a terrible sad uh, thing to have happened to the world but I think as well because you're the master of your own career you know you're self-employed yeah yeah uh you never get the chance it's always like that guilt of well I don't want to take a holiday because like I've got to be relentless with my career I've got to keep pushing I've got yeah. this product yeah. this tour so it's a guilt-free bubble you're in I think make the best of it yeah the most of it. definitely definitely um and thank you for coming on and my sharing my all of this amazing, amazing lovely. gossip. Oh, it was lovely. It was a yeah. real honour to be on your podcast. Love it. <sighs> Don't tell the other men, though. No, no be, I won't. They'll no. all be queuing up. Maybe <laughs> you can put maybe you can put my voice through like a like a girl voice filter. <laughs> So do nobody that, knows. They'll be like, it's Jason Manford. I don't know how girls talk. I can't Point do it. Like the Mars Singer and they have to guess. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just... Love it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Funny Women's Survival Guide and I've been your host, Alexis Strom. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to Jason Manford and of course to Lynn for being on the show today. And finally, let's get straight to some recommendations. Of course, first off, you can find Jason on Twitter at Jason Manford. I'd also like to recommend the fabulous YouTube series Done Breeding by former Funny Women's Survival Guide guest Julie Graham. And Suze Kempner's fab EastEnders parody, EastEnders Lockdown. And you can find that through uh, Suze's Twitter page at Suze, S-O-O-Z U-K. And Susie Bennett's in that as well. And she's amazing playing Sharon. And we desperately wanted Susie on the show, but her mum's laptop wasn't working. So it didn't work out. <laughs> Hopefully in the future, Susie. And also check out Staff Let's Flats, the lockdown version, on Jamie Dimitriou's Twitter at JamieTonight great to see those characters back again and if you go to the funny women website this week there's book news from ruby wax as well as details of nina conti's live stream on show and tell and of course we are huge fans of sarah millican who can be found reading extracts from her hilarious book how to be a champion on insta forthcoming events include the comedy workout on 28th of may where i will be one of the guests talking about storytelling and how to start a podcast and finally if you want to find out more about me, go to thetimeialmost.com. Please subscribe, download and share this podcast. Stay funny and stay safe.